Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know what it is. You love it. It is, of course, Victory Lane. Guys, I kid you not, I think this is the biggest, best, baddest show that we have ever had on tap for you in the 2.0 iteration of Victory Lane. Even if you lump that into 1.0, if you're an OG, I think this might take the cake. You guys see it in the title. Our guest this week is the people's champ, Matt DiBenedetto. How about that? I scored a big one for you guys. I'm very excited to share it with you to see what he has to say about moving to Wood Brothers Racing. Uh, A cool, funny anecdote about naming his dog Brian. Uh, Everything that came along with what's been going on with Matt DiBenedetto mania in the past not only two to three months, but honestly like year and a half, two years or so. So he was gracious enough, and so is Jessica Rolick at Levine Family Racing. Thank you to her and everybody who helped coordinate the conversation. They gave me some time at Las Vegas Motor Speedway this past weekend, which we will also chat about as Martin Truex Jr. wins the playoff opener. Tyler Reddick wins the Xfinity race. He wins the regular season championship. He is now going to set his sights on winning the Xfinity title. Austin Hill wins the last race in the round of eight. Dorsport has a lot of trouble on Friday night in the truck race, and we will, of course, hit on all the odds and ends, previewing Richmond this weekend, as well as full throttle weekend at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. So as we get episodes started on Victory Lane 2.0, the past couple weeks at least, by the way, full disclosure, um, I'm in a hotel room right now in Manchester, New Hampshire, or as they say, Manchester, New Hampshire, and I'm probably pissing off my... uh, the people that are next to me right now in the hotel room. Also, as an aside, I just got to tell you guys a story about uh, my day and what has happened to me uh, internet-wise so far. So I took off this morning. Flight was cool. Got Wi-Fi on the flight. (laughs) That's nice, right? I know. Didn't even pay for it. So then I try to find a parking spot in Boston because I was going to explore downtown Boston, which I did. Uh, I got it through Spot Hero, which I've never used before. So I was about to scan this barcode at this parking garage didn't work there's people lining up behind me mean boston drivers they're freaking out i push the help button they're like just take a ticket we'll reimburse you afterwards whatever so i'm like okay fine i'm around in boston all day very fun a lot of good eating thank you to my friend john Pearlstein for all the recommendations uh so i get a lot of good eats and then i come back i go to the sketchy parking office and nobody's there so then finally somebody comes back and I ended up getting out of there. And then I drove an hour to Danbury, Massachusetts to get these cookies, which by the way have been my dinner. Uh, I've had like three cookies as I'm shirtless in my hotel room recording this podcast right now. If that was TMI, sorry, but you get what you get and you don't get upset with me here on Victory Lane. So anyways, before I ate the cookies shirtless while recording the show, I've been trying to connect to this Wi-Fi at the Holiday Inn in Manchester by the airport for literally three hours. So I connected on my phone, lickety split, no problem at all. And I've been trying to connect to my computer, and for some reason, God, it's pissing me off, it literally is not connecting. 
So I was planning on prepping for the show like I usually do for multiple hours every single week to make sure it's good it's good stuff for you guys, which I hope you appreciate. And uh, yeah, so I didn't do any of that. So I just tried to troubleshoot my computer for like two and a half hours, went down to the front desk. Uh, somebody that's also here for the NASCAR race that works with NASCAR was having the same issue on her computer. They couldn't fix it because, of course, their IT guy, the one time that they have the most guests at their hotel and all these Wi-Fi problems, he's not here. So they couldn't help me. They tried their best. I've been troubleshooting, going on the Internet, restarting, shutting down my computer, trying different browsers, all this mumbo-jumbo stuff, and nothing is working. So that is the long-winded way of telling you guys my usual show prep that I have, like two, three full pages of a Google Doc, everything mapped out going to be lickety split clean that is completely not the case tonight i have a few sound bites to play for you guys so instead of writing in all this clean i'm like mildly ocd i think self-diagnosed like all this clean stuff it's all in a hodgepodge thing on my computer so with that being said let's try to start with recapping the south point 400 from las vegas motor speedway it was hot 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 how you feeling hot 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 uh, so it was about 100 degrees or so when the race began, and trust me, I felt it. Also an aside, we have a lot of asides today. So everybody's saying it's a dry heat in Vegas, right? I was among them. It, it could not be more correct. I, I would literally take 100 to 110 degrees in Las Vegas over 75 or above on the East Coast with humidity seven days a week. No contest. Especially somebody like me that sweats literally all the time. Like, humidity is terrible. Dry heat, it's dry, and it makes my nose bleed, and it makes my lips chap, but I'd take that, and my body would adjust. All right, I digress once again. Let's talk about the race winner. That, of course, you know by now, is Martin Truex Jr., Cole Pern, Joe Gibbs, and the number 19 team of Joe Gibbs Racing. Their Toyota Camry went to the front, stayed there, won a stage, and won the race. Their fifth of the season, that is now alone for the most this season he was tied with Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch coming in with four so he wins his fifth race of the season I feel like the 19 team was kind of overlooked coming into this race because all the talk was Kyle Busch he's the favorite Denny Hamlin his best shot to win a title in forever Joey Logano the defending champion at Team Penske Kevin Harvick he's coming on strong as of late Martin Truex Jr. kind of flew under the radar, and then he kind of re-announced his presence by saying, hey, guys, remember when I won at Vegas before? Oh, yeah, remember when I won a championship before? Remember when I won the playoff opener three out of the last four seasons? And Cole Pern was quick to point out that, uh, yeah, it worked for them one year, but one year they also got eliminated after Taldega. Let's hear from the race winner himself. What is the importance of winning the first playoff race for the team morale and to show everybody else, the playoff contenders, look, we're still here. Well, I think it's huge. I think it's huge for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, first off, we've had a stretch of, you know, six or seven races, maybe six, that we've been really strong in, and we feel like we've had cars capable of winning, and we uh, we honestly don't have a whole lot to show for it. We had no no bonus points in that stretch, and it was getting frustrating. Uh, but we knew we were really fast, and we knew we were working in the right on the right things, and I knew the team was doing a great job. So it's kind of like for us inside of our own minds, it's kind of, you know, it, it's kind of indication that, hey, we are we were doing the right things. We are doing the right things. And, you know, when, when we can get things to roll our way and not make any mistakes, this is what we can do. So great great timing, obviously, with the playoffs starting to be able to do it. And um, 
you know, I think a lot of people have been like, hey, where's the 19 been? We don't expect them to be that strong. And we know we know we can. We know what we can do. So when we when we live up to our potential, it makes us all happy. And, and um, you know, I know everybody that makes this happen, Coach and, and Johnny and, and Jeff and all the men and women back at, at the shop, they, they've seen this. They knew what we were capable of. So that, for me, that just feels good to be able to do the job we're here to do. And, um, you know, hopefully we can carry this momentum on. Most importantly, the playoff points are huge. We got six tonight, and uh, we got two more weeks to try to get some more with no consequences. I also wanted to get a question in about the lack of cautions in this race because on Saturday, it seemed like most of the drivers were expecting more cautions than usual. I think that was probably a mix of them saying, all right, the intensity is going to be ratcheted up because it's the postseason now. The conditions are going to be different than we saw here in the spring where there was only two cautions for stage breaks. The track's going to be hot, slick, worn out. So I was expecting some more cautions. And I may or may not have told my cousin to take the over on six and a half cautions because when you're in Vegas, well, you got to put a little action down. I did not. My cousin did. want to get that straight for the record. Anyways, there was less than six and a half cautions. And I was kind of surprised by that. So I wanted to ask Martin his thoughts on it. And he kind of set me and the record straight. Davey Siegel with Front Stretch. This one can go to Martin and uh, Cole pulling a Holly Kane here. Were you guys surprised with the uh, amount of cautions that we saw tonight? It seemed like yesterday a lot of the drivers thought that there was going to be a little bit more chaos. Uh, you know, I'm not surprised. I think anytime we go to a track that has multiple grooves, it, it helps the, you know, keep the cautions down. Um, you know, with these cars, with this package the way it is, you kind of want to you're, – you're trying to run in clean air as much as you possibly can. So, you know, the, the, the uh, risk of guys hitting each other goes down just because if you're trying to get clean air, you're trying to stay away from people. Uh, and, of course, you know, you can run anywhere on this track. So uh, I was a little nervous at the end of the race. No one got, there were so many guys running up against the fence, you know, just praying a caution wouldn't come out there. But aside from that, I think that, um, you know, we just get spread out. You know, you're trying to stay in clean air and trying to keep your, uh, your car stuck to the track as much as possible. Kevin Harvick was leading the race with about 20 laps to go, and he was run down by about a half a straightaway or so from the 19, and he didn't have any chance of holding him off. So Kevin Harvick comes home in second the week after winning at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But And you don't really get this a lot from Kevin Harvick when he doesn't win a race, but he was very, very pleased. I wouldn't say happy, but he was satisfied and pleased with the effort from his team throughout the entirety of the weekend because as you'll hear him talk about right here, on Friday, they were not even in the ballpark of competing for a win. You know, it was good. You know, we, we got uh, we had two solid stages, and with the way that practice went for us, that was uh, that was a miracle. So, you know, to be in contention with a chance to win the race there with 25 laps to go says a lot about the guys working on this number four car, and everybody everybody did a great job of, of making something out of what wasn't uh, wasn't very very bright for us uh, on Friday. How'd your car change as the conditions changed and sun went down? It didn't really change a whole lot. Um, you know, it's hard to tell whether it was the the track. Obviously, the speeds got a little bit faster, but you know, for for us, we we kept adjusting on our car and, and making it better. So it wasn't wasn't drastic by any means. We've changed all four springs, all four shocks, bump stops, sway bars, uh, ride heights. You name it, we've changed it on this car this weekend. And and you know, after practice, before the race, um, we did the exact same thing again. Maybe not all four springs, but we changed three of them for sure. And, you know, we just kept grinding at it and, and trying to, uh, to put ourselves in position, and we qualified well. And that gives you a little, 
a little bit of a buffer at the beginning of these races, and, and we were able to, to get a good, solid uh, first stage and gain some points, and, and we were able to adjust on our car and keep our track position and, and keep ourselves in it all day. I did talk to a bunch more playoff drivers in the media bullpen, but I want to give you just a couple more. I'm going to try to go away from doing sound bites of everybody when it's kind of just meaningless um, nonsense, you know what I mean? But I think William Byron had some good things to say. He had an eventful day. He finished seventh, so on the stat sheet you say, oh, pretty solid day, first playoff race for the youngster. But his day was pretty, pretty eventful. Uh, he had some contact uh, with Daniel Suarez, I believe, which ended up cutting a tire, and he spun out conveniently right at the entrance to pit road. So he was able to get service on that and come back through the field and finish inside the top 10. So I wanted to get his thoughts on what his mindset was as a young driver, the youngest driver in this playoff field, uh, his first race in, in, in his career in the postseason, as I mentioned, and having the, the guidance of Chad Canals, a seven-time champion on the pit box, to kind of calm him down and say, look, William, long way to go. We got this under control. William, what was the mindset for you in the car once you received yeah. that damage? Ah uh, man, we just uh, we just had to uh, recover. You know, I don't really know what happened there. I was just um, on the wall down the back straightaway and and got hit in the left rear. And then I was um, kind of uh, thought the tire was going to last and hold up, and it cleared the fender for a while. And then obviously had a cut already in it. So uh, that was a big bummer. We we're really fortunate that the caution came out when we spun. Um, that was really good for us, and then overall we were able to, to rally to a seventh place, so that's not bad. We haven't heard you that mad on the radio in a long time, maybe ever. I mean, how did you compose yourself in that moment? Yeah, it was just really frustrating. You know, we had a great day going, and um, we were just racing there, and I didn't really um, expect that to happen, but you got to recover from it and, uh, and rebound, which we did, so that was good. Hendrick Carr seemed pretty strong today. Where's your guys' confidence level at heading into the last two races of the round? Yeah, it was good. Um, we, You know, I feel like the mile and a half's for... For, at least for us, you know, it's been a little bit of a struggle. So um, it's good to get a top 10 and, and uh, just rally and hopefully move on to Richmond, have a really good run there. Also want to touch on Ryan Newman. Yeah, he might not have a neck, but man, he has a knack for somehow getting himself inside the top 10 at the end of these races. That was a really bad dad joke, and I apologize, but it just kind of came to me on the spot. Anyways, he comes home with a top 10 finish, and Honestly, that was a good day for him considering the way that he and the sixth team at Roush Fenway Racing have run throughout the season. But the the call that made his day go from okay to good was Scott Graves on the top of the pit box. Under caution, instead of taking four tires and being mired back in the back half of the top 10, top 15, they took two tires, gained some track position, and he was able to keep that track position for the most part stay up in the front of the field, get some clean air on the nose, as he says right here, and that kind of changed their day. The two-tire call, what did you think of it when... Uh, oh, I thought it was a good call. We needed to get track position, and we needed to get our car tightened up, and you know, it was probably the best way to do that, to get some clean air on it. You're kind of viewed as one of the underdogs going into the playoffs, uh, but what does this kind of run as a statement for you guys? Oh, I mean, it's a good finish. Um, proud of the progress that we made, just uh, know that we're capable of more. We get the car balanced right, um, get a little bit more speed in, we'll be even better yet. And of course, everybody has heard what Kyle Busch said this week. I'm just here so I don't get fined. Uh, I'm being asked the dumbest, you know what, questions. Can I go now? So what you guys might not have heard from that clip uh, was your boy kind of saying, screw it, and just sending it. So how the media bullpen works is like all the media members are there, and you kind of are trying to see who you want to grab because all the drivers kind of come at once, and it's kind of kind of stressful, to be honest. 
So Kyle, but he did not finish in the top 10. He finished 19th, but as a playoff driver, he is obligated to come to the media bullpen and answer questions from the media, as are all playoff drivers. So he gets right out of his car, gets his hat and his water from his PR rep, and he comes right over to the bullpen. And I think some of the other media members did not notice that. I did notice that, so I just kind of made a beeline for him, and I was with uh, Zach Albert of NASCAR.com. Happy belated birthday, Zach. And I kind of said, all right, here we go. So, I, I mean, I could tell he was pissed because we know what happened in, in the closing stages of the race with Garrett Smithley running into him, a lap down car, and on lap five, he hit the wall, which kind of sent his day spiraling out of control, was two laps down, got back on the lead lap, took the wave around, was a top 10 caliber car, but then the incident with the 52, get it right, of Smithley happened at the end. So basically, you don't hear the start of this uh, in all the other media clips, but I, here it is for you right here. I asked the first question. I may or may not have somewhat been, you know, what in my pants because uh, I'm not going to lie. Like it was, it was pretty intimidating. So you guys have heard most of it by now. But if you haven't, here is Kyle Busch's not tirade. He just was very short, not as sweet and uh, pretty curt to the media members. Up and down day for you, Kyle. Can you just walk us through it, please? No. I'm just here so I don't get fined. What happened there with the 53 uh, there late? 52, get it right. Don't know. Right. How did that impact your car? Killed it. What did you think? Were you happy that you were able to come back after the early damage? Nope. To your, uh, car? What happened there in the, at the beginning of the race? I'm just here so I don't get fined. How about the heat? The, what effect? It felt great. Felt fine out there the whole time? Any sauce that you're going to a place where you won last time, last year, Richmond? Nope, can't pass there. Do you feel okay about your chances overall? Still Don't care. Is it helping me at all that you got the bonus points coming in here, coming out of this race? Just here so I don't get fined. Do you feel like if you had been able to get the top 10, okay. I'm answering the dumbest hope you enjoyed me taking you behind the scenes there and uh that bleep it's not easy bleeping audio out all the time kyle so please clean it up for the kids let's run through the rest of the top 10 behind truex and harvick was brad keselowski and his team did a really good job because they were handling so bad they had the hood up on the two on pit road and they were adjusting stuff underneath the hood and clearly paid off they came home with a third place run Chase Elliott in fourth place. He led a handful of laps. Ryan Blaney, fifth place. Alex Bowman and William Byron, sixth and seventh, respectively. Kyle Larson, eighth place. Joey Logano came home in ninth. He won stage one and won this race here in the spring. Uh, He came home ninth. Ryan Newman, tenth. And then the other playoff contenders, he had Eric Almarola in 13th. Denny Hamlin, who kind of fell off at the end of the day, he finished in 15th place. As I mentioned, Kyle Busch. 19th as I'm scrolling down on my phone here because I don't have it on my computer. Clint Boyer came home 25th. He earned the poll. This is the first time that he was starting P1 in 12 years. Let that sink in. 12 freaking years. And um, apparently, Stuart Haas Racing cars were trimmed out, as Dale Earnhardt Jr. explained to me this week on the Dale Jr. download because I didn't know what that meant. But it basically means they have straight line speed. But they did not have corner speed and they did not have enough downforce. At least the 14 did not. So he came home 25th. He was not happy. And then a couple playoff cars had trouble. Eric Jones finished 36th, multiple laps down. He was stuck in second gear on one of the restarts, had to go behind the wall for repairs. He's not in good position playoff-wise right now. And Kurt Busch finished DFL. He hit the wall after having a tire rub with somebody and 
was sent straight into the wall. Nothing really you could do at that point. He was coming to pit road, but it was just one one lap, a couple corners too late. So that kind of wrapped things up for the South Point 400. Overall, the race was not too bad. I wouldn't say that it was the best one of the year, but it definitely was not on the worst ones either. The restarts, I'm, I know you guys are watching them on TV, and if you've been to a race this season, you've seen them. But I think Vegas is kind of an exception because that's one of the only tracks where you can run multiple lanes, especially with this package. And allegedly, there is somewhat of a tire fall off. I'm telling you guys, those restarts are insane. I'm watching them from the press box, and I'm thinking, oh, they can't go five. They're five wide. Like, it's 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 insane. So I really enjoyed watching those restarts for sure. And then, of course, everything strings out and gets single file. But overall, pretty good South Point 400, if I do say so myself. And uh, I'm that guy that goes to Vegas for five days, did not gamble once, did not go to the strip to hang out or party once, did not drip a sick drip, drip, drink. I've not been drinking, I promise. Did not drink a sip of alcohol, but I did lose my wallet. Yeah, lost it in the in the media center, but my boy Darian Gilliam, Black Flags Matter, he called security because he works at the track and they held it for me. So LVMS, thank you guys for that. That wraps up the Cup Series race this weekend. Now let's briefly talk about the Xfinity and the Truck Series races this past weekend at Las Vegas as well. Tyler Reddick wins the Xfinity race on fuel mileage. He went 71 laps, crazy amount of time to go on one one tank of fuel, I believe over 110 miles. He wins for the fifth time this year. That's the second most behind Christopher Bell, who dominated the race. We'll get there. So Reddick gets five additional playoff points with the win. And he wins the regular season championship. He clinched that earlier on in the race. So that's an additional 15 playoff points. So in total, he has 44 playoff points going into the Xfinity Series. A seven-race postseason beginning this weekend at Richmond. I actually did a complete comprehensive preview of said playoff run for NASCAR.com. It is live on the website now, so please be sure to check that out. I worked pretty hard on that. Let's hear from Mr. Tyler Reddick on saving that fuel at the end of the race. Oh, you know, just our guys, uh, Randall did a great job, let me know early on what we needed to do, and we're able to run the shortest distance around the racetrack and, and save some fuel. And, you know, it, it's it's really cool to win a few, ra- it's really cool to win races this way because, uh, you know, I, I feel like we've, we've, we've given a few races up that should have been ours. So you always look back and think that way, but it's kind of nice to, to kind of sneak in and, and take advantage of a certain situation um, and make the smarter smarter choice and you know we didn't have anything to lose where we were so we were able to come down and just mix it up and it played into our hand uh if we would have had a caution with 10 to go it probably would have been interesting but um it worked in our favor so i'll take it we'll all take it and it was a good way to to cap the the night of crapshing regular season championship and, and get five more playoff points so tyler reddick was the one who was leading at the end of the race but leading most of the race that was Christopher Bell, and as you'll hear him talk about here, this is not the first time that this has happened to him this year where he dominates the race, clearly, as day, has the fastest and the best car of the evening, but does not come home victorious in victory lane. And Christopher Bell is somewhat of a a mild-mannered guy, right? I had never seen him this mad, and I think Claire B. Lang says it in this audio clip too. I'd never seen him this mad. He had that kill in his eyes. And if that's an, any indication of what we're going to see moving forward, I think that Christopher Bell might go ham in, in, in these playoffs. And as I wrote on that Xfinity Series preview on NASCAR.com, the one thing that is not working in his favor is that he does not have a great track record at Homestead, 
and Reddick and Custer do? Because Reddick won last year at Homestead, and Custer won in 2017 at Homestead. So, I mean, look, the big three in the, the Xfinity Series, they're going to get to Homestead. It's just a matter of who's going to be joining them, in my opinion, unless something catastrophic happens for multiple weeks in a row to one of those big three contenders. Anyways, I'm burying the lead. Here's Christopher Bell after dominating, leading over 215, I believe, laps at Las Vegas, but coming home one spot short. Yeah, that's two times that we got beat this year just because I feel like we had the best car and other guys just do opposite of us. So That freaking sucks. It, uh, nothing else to say. I think that's the most frustrated I've seen you, and I've seen you in the studio when you haven't won frustrated. What are you most frustrated about? Me and Bob were talking about this earlier. You know, whenever you have opportunities to win the race and you don't win, that's what sucks. Whenever you have 10th place cars and you run fifth with them, you know, it doesn't sting as bad. But uh, today we had a winning car and we did not win. That was Saturday night. Let's chat about Friday night, the Gander Outdoors Truck Series race, the World of Westgate 200 from Las Vegas Motor Speedway. How about a Tory Racing Enterprises, and how about Austin Hill wins his third race of the season? I got to tell you, I didn't expect him to win this many races. I maybe saw one coming, but I, I, I do, I mean, it's it's pretty obvious that, and this is no disrespect to Austin, but like uh, Hotori, that is, they downgraded in driver talent because Brett Moffitt is a wheel man, and he won the championship last year. But Austin Hill, he's surprising some people, myself included. I wasn't a hater by any means, but... I was just saying, yeah, you know, he brought sponsorship. Great for him. He's doing what he's got to do. He's probably going to make the playoffs, make a little bit of noise. That's cool. I didn't expect him to win three races. And I get his equipment's really good, but he's a damn good driver too. So he wins the playoff opener, or excuse me, the season opening race at Daytona. He wins the regular season finale at Michigan. And he wins the round one finale at Las Vegas Motor Speedway to lock himself into the round of six. You know, right when I went across the start-finish line, I was screaming and yelling, and I was yelling, you know, we're going to the round of six, boys. We're going to the round of six. So uh, it was so special. Um, you know, Daytona was such a special win for me. Michigan was an awesome win. But to do what we did tonight, uh, you know, we, we had some miscommunication uh, to come down pit road or not, and we stayed out. And the next thing you know, everyone pits. So the next time around, we pitted and had to restart, I don't know, where 20th or whatever it was. And uh, to be able to come from where we were uh, and drive all the way through the field under green flag condition and take the lead and drive away from them like we did, it just shows, um, you know, it's a, a huge statement win. It shows, you know, what these guys have put into this truck and the effort they put into it. Um, it's only been on the racetrack twice, Michigan and Vegas, and it's two for two. So uh, I think that's pretty good for that new truck that they just built. That, unfortunately for Hill, was not really the story of this race. I think the story of the race was Thor Sport Racing. What the hell happened, man? <laughs> they got to be having some tense, terse conversations with Ilmore Engines this week because, man, they they dropped the ball. Ilmore did. I mean, it was crazy what happened. You guys saw it. Motors blowing left and right, left, right, and center, as my British friends would say across the pond. So you had Grant Enfinger, the regular season champion. His engine blows in the first stage. Those 15 playoff points don't mean anything because he's now eliminated from the playoffs. Crazy. So you think, man, Thor Sport engine up in smoke. That's unfortunate for Enfinger. Then on the same lap, the same straightaway, at the same damn time, two more Thor Sport engines blow. Johnny Sauter, Kablamo. And who is the other one? I'm blanking because I don't have my notes in front of me. It wasn't Enfinger. It was Sauter. Oh, Crafton, obviously. 
So you had solder and crafting. Kablamo! Their engines blow too. Like, what? what's going on? So they don't finish the race. Um, I think solder. Yeah, solder's the one. Solder ends up being eliminated from the playoffs, which means who gets in? The little engine that could. Tyler Ankrum of DGR Crowsley. He advances to the round of six after missing the first three races of the season because of an age restriction. Crazy story from this guy. And we asked him after the race, you know, if we told you that when you were starting parking for Nemco Motorsports that you'd be standing here in the round of six, would you have believed us? Hear for yourself what he had to say. When you were doing those couple starting park deals with Nemco, did you honestly think that you'd be able to be standing here in the round of six? I didn't. Honestly, I thought my season was over at that point in time. Uh, I didn't think we are going to even, you know, get a little bit of the sponsorship needed to finish the rest of the year out i mean i know even after i got back in the 17 truck people were questioning like well are you gonna be in the next one or are you gonna be in the next one are you gonna and people just quit asking so uh, i'm glad they did um so we're here and uh, i think we can make it the homestead i was gonna say so how about moving forward i, I think Talladega is obviously the wild card yeah so. i think we can do it i know I, didn't, I haven't run anything well people don't no, remember I was actually can and championships, so champions. So, so they, oh, you remember? That's because we're <laughs> friends. But most of them think I ran Arca or something. But I have no experience there. I raced Martinsville, and I've raced Phoenix. So, really bank on those two races. Um, really bank just having a really good day at Talladega. Um, that's where you can lose the most, I think. So, I think uh, heading into those two races, I think we'll be fine. And then it's just matter matter heading to Homestead, making the least amount of mistakes, and I think we can do it. All right, I've done enough babbling for a lifetime. I want to throw it over to my interview with Matt DiBenedetto of Levine Family Racing, going to be with Wood Brothers Racing next year. But right now, he's with the 95 in the Toyota camp. We chatted this weekend at Las Vegas Motor Speedway on Saturday, mid-morning, early afternoon. He was really gracious with his time, as always. I really enjoyed the convo. Hope you did, too. We chatted on almost everything under the sun, but we, we did focus and this is not like my usual one-on-one interviews, but we did focus on the racing side of things because that has been so prevalent in his career in the past two to three months. So like I said, guys, I've been working my ass off for you guys. This is probably the biggest interview that we've had on Victory Lane to date. So I really hope you give it a listen. And while you're listening, leave a five-star rating and a review, and I'll check in with you afterwards. Hope you guys enjoy it. I don't think anybody has had a quieter week in their careers than Matt Benedetto this week, leading into Las Vegas. Matt, thank you for spending some time. I know it's been an extremely, extremely busy week, but a good one at that, I know. Yeah, thanks. It's been, it, it's been crazy, that's for sure. Yeah. So I'd be remiss if we didn't start with the news. Wood Brothers Racing in 2020. What were the emotions when you found out that the leap of faith that you took last year and then the one that you didn't necessarily take it this year, but the position that you were put in, you would end up being being able to be behind the wheel of a race car next year oh man it's the the journey has been such an emotional roller coaster that it makes it makes you appreciate things like this that much more even and perfect example would be my you know when my wife found out she just burst into tears that's because... what i was gonna say so i heard that she was crying when you found out that you were leaving lfr and then two weeks or so later, she's crying happy tears because you guys found yep, something. That's exactly <laughs> it. So that's just that's a perfect example of the emotional roller coaster. Um, but it, you know, it, it makes you appreciate it so much that when the news, this news did um, come out, that that's where she was just crying because it, yeah. it's we've been through so much together, and it's uh, it makes it that much more special. And that was another one of my questions. You know, you've been very vocal about the journey that you've been on from 
Grass Valley, moving to Charlotte, all these different teams that you've been on, you wouldn't change any of that because that's kind of molded you and made you the person that you are today behind the wheel of a race car. Yep, exactly. I, I would never change it because it's made me the person I am in general in life. Uh, it's made me appreciate it more, and it's made me a better driver um, because of how tough the journey's been. So I can never appreciate it um, as much without the, the path I've had to go about. It's a lot of peaks and valleys in that road to, to, to Cup Series superstardom, they can say, right? Oh, yeah, to a ton, a ton. I, I always say one day I need to write a book uh, when this journey's New all York over. New York Times bestseller, 2035. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So I, I, I always say that, that one day it would be cool to write a book on this journey because, I mean, I feel like I'm still just getting started, and it's, yeah. um, it's just been so crazy. I don't even know if people would believe the story unless I literally put it out there like that one day. Yeah, it's literally a Hollywood-type story. So yeah. this latest chapter in your story, joining the Wood Brothers, how, how fast was the timeline, like, from you at Bristol getting the news that you wouldn't be returning to the 95 to then knowing that you had a seat secured for next year? How long did that take? Yeah, I found out about not being able to return to LFR about four days before Bristol, and then I got a phone call I think about two days, two or three days after Bristol, wow. um, you know, from the Wood Brothers team, uh, inquiring about having me come in to chat with them. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, so it all came about very quickly. Did you anticipate it happening that quickly? No, not at all. Most of my career has been the total opposite. Exactly. Of having to wait painfully long. So this yeah. is this is very opposite of of how a lot of things have went in the past. But it's good to have those people in your corner, and, I mean, none other more important in this situation than the guy who's driving the 21 right now, Paul Menard, because, as we know, he's the one that told the Wood Brothers, hey, you got to put Matt in this car. I know it meant a lot to you to have him in your corner and vouching for you. Oh, huge, yeah. I, I've, I've been saying I, there's I, – I can't even figure out how to express uh, thanking Paul properly because, you know, he's – He's not. He's impacting my entire life and everything I've worked for since I was a kid. Me and my, my wife, you know, my family. He's impacting all of us in a, a way that's you can't even possibly thank anyone enough for. So um, that and and giving me the opportunity to to, uh, to drive for you know the most legendary team in NASCAR. And that's not uh, even that's, an understatement either. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know. So that's it's all just so amazing in there. And I'd love to see Paul get the hundredth win for the Wood Brothers. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that would be that would be really cool for for them. And obviously, if he doesn't, then uh, you know we all definitely plan to and love to get a you know I plan to get that you know win for them. But I would like to see Paul get the the hundredth. That would be very cool. Cool way for him to finish up uh, you know a long long time, a long successful time in the Cup Series. Have you known Paul that well? Because he's, he's like that one guy in the garage that nobody really knows anything about him. He's not on social media. He keeps to himself. He's the quiet, reserved type guy. Like, have, have you guys been friends for a little bit? Yeah, when I, you know, when I was driving for Ford, uh, we would do some, you know, there would be some team right. uh, events that, amongst Ford that we would do. So we would all do some fun team building events and things. And uh, so that's actually how I got to know Paul better and um, get to know him as a person and how much of a family man he is how basic and genuine and humble of a person that he he is um, how he likes doing stuff like changing his oil in his own vehicles you know he's just a very basic guy so it was really nice to get to know him and he uh you know and him and how basic he is that's the best way i could describe him. so it was fun getting to know right. him. i feel like there's not one person that's not in your corner you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. like I, i've and you're living it so i mean you know better than anybody else but have have you been surprised by how much 
positive attention and reinforcement that has gone your way, not only in the past two weeks, not only in the last five or six months, but in the past like two years. Like everybody has been on this Matt Benedetto craze, you know what I mean? Yeah, I've been really surprised because I've really done nothing but just be me, you know, and, and I... I think uh, that speaks volumes. And I don't, uh, you know, and I don't think I'm that cool or anything, <laughs> you know, I'm just a regular old guy, like, yeah. I just go home and chill with my wife and dog and that's about it and i just love driving race cars so it is crazy just being i don't know just being me and nothing special that but that people uh embrace the journey so much and how much positive feedback there is and how in a world of social media that can be tough right um i can look in on this news and everything that's been happening and our good runs with lfr even all that you look at social media and it's just nothing but love and support which is crazy and especially in today's world yeah i was gonna say and there's been a lot of the opposite towards bob levine and levine family racing but i think it was really interesting how you were one of the first ones and the most vocal ones to point out like hey it's a bad situation i get that obviously i'd like to stay with this team but don't blame them like this is a business and this is stuff that happens in big business of nascar yep exactly so yeah i was real uh outspoken about you know, sticking up for them because um, even before, you know, well, one, the the opportunity for next year wouldn't come about, my career wouldn't have continued without exactly. LFR and them giving me the opportunity to go out there and shine this year and be in the best situation I've ever been in um, and run up front, compete for wins and all these top fives, top tens. So all that is due to them taking a chance on taking me for this year. So I was definitely outspoken about that because they deserve nothing but praise. And then the opportunity for next year, came about because they gave me this opportunity so it's all in credit to bob levine and his wife sharon and their whole family for putting me in this car so i was talking to a couple drivers yesterday have that have had an unorthodox path to where they are now and i was talking with ben rhodes and he kind of said you know on paper everybody wants to start in k&n then you move up to do a full year in trucks full year xfinity full year cup and then you work up and you get better and better and better but that's not always how it goes and i feel like your path is unique in that sense but also because you bet on yourself obviously that's been well documented and whatnot going from go fast leaving there landing here and you didn't necessarily bet on yourself for next year going to wood brothers but i think you're like the most underappreciated ballsy guy in the garage (laughs) because you you did exactly that bet on yourself and it's clearly paying off because not only are you making lateral moves you're moving up in the pantheon of nascar cup series racing yeah so what made it clear and i don't want to say easy but clear for me to make all those like ballsy decisions um, was that we, you know, work or I've worked my whole entire life since I was a kid with a dream of winning in the Cup Series, and I just wasn't going to settle for anything short of that. So it was, I want to win in Cup, and I can live with myself going 100% all in on that, but I can never live with myself settling and giving up the chance uh, to to win in the cup series so that's where all these decisions were clear of and why i was so relentless on i'm climbing the ladder to win and not to settle in and putting aside uh, the news that you received leading up to bristol but i think it's correct me if i'm wrong but that reason right there was why you were so emotional at bristol because you got so close you tasted that victory and only to have it fall that short that that's part of the reason why you were so emotional and you were overcome with the motion because you got that close to that dream that you've wanted to do since you were a little kid and to have it be that close and you know that you're right there right but to have it that close that's part of why you were so emotional yeah that's exactly it i to you know that's everything 
that's all my life's work. Yeah. Uh, put laid out right there in front of me, and to come that close, that's why it just broke me down. Mm-hmm. And I know it'll happen. I'm, you know, I'm definitely going to win. Um, but you want it so bad, and you want it now, and uh, and I wanted it for not only me, but I wanted it for our team. Yep. I wanted to get LFR their first win. I wanted to get a win for wheels coming over here on this team. There were so many reasons, and my entire life's work right there in front of me. That's why it just really. Uh, made it hard for me to get words out because I, I, I'd wanted it so bad. And you were on NBC's Motor Mouths this weekend. Rutledge Wood said it pretty well. He said, I don't think I've ever seen somebody, the first thing that they say coming out of their car is, I am so sorry to the other driver. And that's yeah. what Denny did. And you guys shared an unbelievably cool moment in victory lane. I think that was like the moment of the season for me. W- what did it mean to you to have his respect and admiration to you, somebody that you raced hard for the win? Denny Hamlin's yeah. a really got good guy in the Cup Series. Yeah, that just shows, you know, what kind of a person Denny really really is. He's he's a I've gotten to know him and he's he's not only a a great person and and you know, not only does he care about, you know, people in the sport and the sport in general, but he's impacted my career too cuz when sponsored I was your car. Yep, so he <laughs> sponsored my car at Go Fast Racing. He was one of the, you know, him um, Kevin Harvick DW and then another uh, you know Whiskey River was on the race car so there was um, so all those guys and you know Denny sponsored my race car and he started that trend and then it blew up into a big story and then it got us a six race primary sponsor at a small team which was huge uh, for us so he actually impacted my entire career um, and it's just amazing what kind of uh, you know you know what kind of a person that shows that he he is that he took his own money and sponsored my race yeah. car a competitor you know it was, it was very very cool so he's a good guy impacted my career and was amazing to get that kind of respect from him and have that moment of victory lane and you know have him racing against me but he was also pulling for me at the yeah. same time and for us as a team only in nascar right and yeah it's, it's those little small acts of kindness that go so far that you might not know are going to be a big deal in the short term yep yeah exactly unbelievable that's a cool cool moment you never forget uh, for the rest of your life that's just like you said an act of kindness one more question about the wood brothers before we move on to lfr and some fun some more fun questions so when you were at go fast and bk and even now at lfr i mean the expectation went up when you went from team to team to team but next year i mean like the wood this is a legit team like they have a Penske Alliance. This is a playoff caliber team, a team that can win races week in and week out. Like this is, this is the real deal. So I know that you're aware of that, obviously. But this is probably the best opportunity that you've had to this point in your Cup career, and it's coming when you're not even at the peak of your career. I, I guess you could say statistically, age-wise. So it must be extremely excited for you, the prospect of that, while also still focusing on the here and the now. Yep. Yeah. So the focus now is finishing out the rest of this year and. Still trying to sneak off that win for LFR, which is a growing team, you know, to kind of hit on what you're saying. Um, and it's and we have our strengths and weaknesses as a team. The short tracks and road courses are our strengths. We're very open to that, or open about that. But yeah, next year, um, yeah, it just that's the organization is so established and so incredible, and they have you know a lot of great people and uh, fast race cars that alliance with Penske, all that. Yeah. So the goal and expectation. For me, it'd be go win. Uh, you know, that's simple. Yeah, it's simple as that. And I, I talked about it before we started recording. You got a new sponsor on the car this weekend in Barcelona Sports. I see your crew. Your crew guys are wearing the shirts all over the place. El Prez is here. 
it's pretty cool to have them, a new sponsor, activating with the team and with you guys. How did that partnership kind of come about in the first place? Yeah, so at Bristol, I've been a fan of Dave Portnoy, Barstool, all of that for quite some time. I send their Instagram videos to friends for the last two years. Join the club. Uh, every day. Literally, yeah. I just sent one in the holler five minutes ago of a, <laughs> a girl going down a water slide, and it was it was interesting. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so anyways, after Bristol, I saw him standing by, and I was, you know, obviously bummed, but then I saw him, and it perked me up. I was like, oh, man, that's Dave Portnoy. Heck yeah. And yeah, I knew he was wanting to interview me, so I jump over there, and it perked me up just because I'm a big a fan yeah really and then uh did that and right there on camera in front of everybody he's like hey man i want to sponsor you this is a cool story this is really crazy this is amazing the fan support you got all that we want to sponsor you i was like cool yeah sounds good <laughs> and then uh that was it then he reached out to See, me on social media that easy right yeah he reached out to me on social media and then uh, uh we exchanged phone numbers talked to him on the phone and that was it done and uh he sponsored i connected him with the team and then he sponsored the team the car looks really damn good too yeah it looks amazing and we've got another scheme for uh talladega that's people are really gonna love too very cool it's uh pizza inspired we like one that bite, one bite everybody knows the rules everybody knows the rules. yeah we're looking forward to that um let's talk about a couple fun things the last time we chatted was i think a maybe a little over a year ago at that point you were in the craze of scaring your wife like all the time oh yeah media. Is that still happening? Uh, I've been slacking a little bit. Um, I need to, you gotta get back on the grind. Yeah, I need to. Uh, I need to jump back on scaring her a little bit more. I've been. Well, I almost felt bad. She just she owes me so many that <laughs> you know she needs to she needs to work on getting me back. My favorites were the air horns. Those are just so, they're so cruel and evil, but so funny. At the same oh time. yeah, those were good. Yeah, and that thing was loud too. Yeah, it was. Uh, also, your dog Brian. I know the story behind the name, but tell the listeners that might not be familiar. Why would you name your dog Brian? <laughs> yeah, so Tay and I love the show family guy. Yep. And uh, we rescued Brian, and he was a white-colored, you know, he's a mutt, um, but he's got some great Pyrenees mix, so that's why he's, his color is white. And he's a male. And Tay was just uh, talking about where you're trying to figure out names, and she looked at him and was like, Brian. I was like, oh, my God, done. Yep. <laughs> definitely brian not even a contest yep and we love and i think human names for dogs are funny anyways yeah i think it's great it's like you name your dog matt or steve it's like come here steve yep yep exactly i love the human name and and it makes it and people remember him they remember his name because it's something different than you know like the typical uh, names in in a y or ey or you know uh, you know bailey or you know or whatever it may be there's all these names that are so common for dog yeah. names. They're like, I want something way out there that's different. Did you tell Dave that your dog's name is Brian? I feel like he'd eat that up. Oh, yeah. I need to tell him. I'm not sure if he knows. I feel like he'd eat that yeah. up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He'd be like, I'm sponsoring a guy and his dog's name is Brian. Yep. Get a load of that. Yeah. That'd be funny. Uh, last question for me, Matt. What, what do you guys think some realistic expectations are for the rest of this season with the 95? You have the most top fives that you've ever had so far this year in three. Um, and there's 10 races left. I know you obviously want to get into victory lane. The playoffs are here, and you guys aren't participating. But is a win realistic? Like, what are we thinking in terms of expectations for the rest of the year? Yeah, I think because we have a lot of the 750 horsepower tracks coming up or remaining on the schedule, um, then I, I say, yeah, like the Roval, Richmond, Dover, uh, Martinsville. I might be missing somewhere, but Phoenix. Phoenix, yeah. Um, all those places I'd mark off as, yeah, definitely realistic shots to win. And if you look at this year, you know, um, we've had two races where we arguably controlled 
a, por- a large portion of the race yeah. and had the best shot to win of anybody. Um, and that's no fluke. So that's why the remaining part of the season at those tracks that are our strength, the 550 spec race tracks at the mile and a half are not our strength. Um, and, and we know that. And we're trying to improve at them and get better. But we have different goals for those. But going into the, uh, like, we don't go into, as much as we'd love to, we don't go into a Vegas and and think, oh, yeah, we're going to win this week. We yeah. know it's just a little bit of not quite our strong suit. We go into all those short tracks and road courses where we get that off-throttle time back, um, using the brake pedal back, and, uh, you know, the horsepower and all that. Then it puts it way more in our our wheelhouse, mine as a driver and ours as a team, to work on just the old school setup stuff. And uh, and we're so long story short, goal would be to win one of those, and I think that's realistic. I lied. Last last question. Uh, your wonderful PR, Jess. She calls you muscles. Uh, I have a question about leg day. So I do leg day like once every two months, which I know <laughs> I should do it more. Is there any way that I could possibly do it? without doing it anymore and not be as sore as I am because I literally, and I kid you not, cannot walk for two days after I do that. Oh, yeah. It's all about proper volume. I, I work My form legs. also is really bad. Yeah. It's, it's terrible. All, do CrossFit, man. It'll teach you. And you do leg day every day. <laughs> and uh, and it's um, – but actually, it really, that's what has yeah. taught me a lot more about exercise science too. But, uh, yeah, I do uh, basically every day is leg day uh, when you Never skip it. compound lifts and yeah. – and I just squat every single week, um, sometimes multiple times a week. We have to have the proper volume, so kind of a you can't just train heavy and blast your legs yeah. every day. You want to have the proper volume to where you'll micro tear the muscles and rebuild stronger, not just destroy them where you can't walk. Then it's not beneficial. So you got to just train and ease up to it. Okay. Find the proper volume, get better. Then you won't be as horribly sore, and you'll be training to just. Break down and rebuild. Break down, rebuild. Okay, Cup Series driver and personal trainer, Matt DiBenedetto. Yeah, I always say when I retire, I have a, I can definitely be a, a personal trainer. Oh, yeah. I studied a lot of exercise science, and that's my passion um, on this on the side. So I, I do enjoy doing that. Well, Matt, your journey's been really cool to follow along with. Uh, I think I speak on behalf of everybody to say we're all really happy for you. It's, it's awesome to watch your story, and looking forward to see how it play, pays out next year. But also, good luck the rest of the year. Thank you. Well. What'd you think? Hope you liked it. If you have my number, text me. If you don't, tweet me. Tweet me your thoughts on this interview. And if you want to do more than that and help me out, leave a rating and a review on iTunes. As I said, that helps us spread the word. It Marty Smith always says it sounds trivial and like it doesn't matter. And in the grand scheme of things, no, it doesn't. But it does help me out and helps this podcast gain a little bit more visibility in um in that in that space. And I'm competing with a bunch of different um, better, frankly, NASCAR podcast out there. And I listen to all of them because uh, I want to kind of hone and perfect my craft. But one day maybe I can get to the big time and get some sponsorship and do all that fun stuff. So please do that. It only takes about 30 to 45 seconds, and it means a lot to me. So thank you guys for listening so much. Hope you enjoyed that interview. And as I tweeted this week, we got more coming, much, much more coming down the pipeline. Let's briefly preview Richmond this upcoming weekend, the Federated Auto Parts 400 for the Cup Series, and of course, the opening playoff race for the NASCAR Xfinity Series, as well as Full Throttle Weekend from New Hampshire Motor Speedway. I'm going to start with the latter first, because that's why I'm right now in Manchester, New Hampshire. It's kind of on the top of my mind. So we have the Musket 250 for the NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour. That is their Daytona 500. That's their Indy 500. This is 
by far the biggest race of the season for the mod guys. Looking forward to my my guy Kyle Souza seeing him. I know he's amped about that. We also have the Apple Barrel 125 for the NASCAR K&M Pro Series East. It is the penultimate race of the season. I think, barring a miracle, Sam Mayer's got this championship in the bag. Uh, but I am looking forward to see who can kind of, um, I guess, emerge in the later ends of the season, either looking ahead to next season or kind of going out with the bang this season. And I know that there's a few drivers that are competing right now that probably this is going to be it in terms of their season and their career in stock car racing for the foreseeable future. So we'll see if they can go out with the bang. Also looking forward to Josh Berry. He's making his k East debut for Visconti Motorsports, and he's going to be racing a couple times for them next year, as well as staying on board of that organization as a driver coach. So that should be fun. Looking forward to that as always. And of course, we have the NASCAR Pinty Series coming down from Canada for their race at New Hampshire Motor Speedway, the second annual event that they are holding in the United States at NHMS. So looking forward to that. Richmond, let's see. Since I don't have any notes prepared on my computer, this is when I stall and I try to open the notes on my phone that I got as an email from NASCAR Integrated Marketing Communications, and I've stalled enough to find it. Race time, 7.30 p.m. Saturday, September 21st, 400 laps. Stage 1 and 2 are 200 laps each. Kyle Busch is the defending winner of this event. Uh, it's going to be a good race. I'm always looking forward to Richmond. It's fun. And last time I was actually there in the spring, it was it was a little bit interesting because you really don't like to see aero push at a short track, but that's unfortunately kind of what we saw. So Kyle Busch is looking to defend this win. He has, I think, six wins here overall. We'll see if he can get off the schneid and see if he's only there so he doesn't get fined. Um, I'm picking Denny Hamlin to win this race. He's He's super good at Richmond, as always, and I think that he's going to get her done this weekend. I'm looking forward to see who surprises us. Uh, can Ryan Newman maybe run inside the top five and vault himself into the top 12 and get off of that playoff cut line right now? Can Kurt Busch and Eric Jones, can they rebound from outside of the playoffs right now? Can they make something happen? I mean, they're going to have to. They're going to have to play the strategy game or something because they don't want to be in a must-win scenario going into the Roval, but the way that it's looking right now, they, they might have to be. A very much abbreviated because I did not have ample time to write anything in my notes. Lug nuts of the week! Cue the music. Let's also bring the music down now because very, very unfortunate news came across um, the, the racing world on Sunday afternoon or evening if you were on the East Coast. Nine-time NASCAR champion. Seven times in the Modified Tour, two times in the K&N East, then known as Bush North, Mike Stefanik. He passed away, unfortunately, in an aviation crash it's 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 never easy to talk about and it comes almost two years after the nascar world lost ted christopher to a similar accident in an aviation crash so very unfortunate news coming down thoughts and prayers obviously go out to the stefanik family and everybody that has kind of been associated with him throughout his long-standing career and the topic of him uh being in the hall of fame has kind of resurfaced now with his unfortunate passing and I think he was going to get in regardless in the next, you know, three to four years. I think now with this with this unfortunate event, it's probably going to accelerate that timeline. So, unfortunately, he's not going to be able to see that day when he gets into the Hall of Fame. But I'm sure he'll be he'll be taking a lap up there with Teddy Christopher and all the other Hall of Famers that have since passed away are going to be congratulating him up there in the sky. So, rest in peace to Mr. Mike Stefanik. 
Only a couple other pieces of news and notes for the week. Corey LaJoy is going to have Dry Dean as a sponsor for Dover, primary sponsor for Dover, that is. Austin Dillon, he is running a Jack Daniels paint scheme at the Roval next week. That thing looks bad freaking ass. Like, that that might be my favorite paint scheme of the year. That is so dope looking. Also, I'm watching Thursday Night Football right now, and Gardner Minshew is slinging it for Jacksonville. Anyways, you're here to hear about NASCAR, not football. Daniel Hemrick, unfortunately for him, his rookie season will be his last, at least for the foreseeable future, with Richard Childress racing as the team is exercising their option to let him go of his contract at the end of the year. We assume that that's going to be filled by Tyler Reddick. That seat is um, a very unfortunate situation for Daniel. He's been nothing but gracious to me when I've talked to him in a couple times um, in, in my media time. So unfortunate news for him but sports a businessman and you got to keep on moving and if you don't perform and you don't have results well stuff like this is unfortunately going to happen i also want to close victory lane with uh, a rant from bubble wallace this past weekend at las vegas he was basically got on a tangent talking about older guys in the, in the cup series complaining about being raced too hard and i was kind of on the fence with like this whole ideology of older guys saying just wait a little bit and don't race too hard. Listening to Bubba rant about this, I think he has flipped me completely, and I'm completely on his side. What do you guys think? Dude, we're racing. Like, what are you mad about? And so walking through the garage last week in Indy, he said something. He was like, ah, I was just kind of frustrated, but uh, no harm, no foul. And I was like, I was like, oh, yeah, it's just you old guys just hate being raced at any time on the racetrack. And so it's different. Um, people hate being raced on restarts. They get pissed when you put them three or four wide. Um, and they start to point the blame at you. But it's like, why are we in that position? You messed up. You forced me to make a move. And I'm not going to sit there and ride behind you and get passed and get put three or four wide. So I'm going to make the move and, and get by you. So it's it's different. You know, I love how aggressive we race. I, I love That's just that's what I was taught growing up. Be as aggressive as you can, as clean as you can. There's there's a fine line. I'm not out there pinballing off other cars and wrecking people, but if the opportunity presents itself to me to force the issue onto you, absolutely, it's gonna happen. Like I I, I fell victim to it um, this this race earlier this year. Uh, me and Priest were racing hard. I th- think for the lucky dog or something. We come out on different little pit strategy about two laps or so, and we are racing the absolute crap out of each other, and. Uh, after the race or in my Monday morning debrief, I texted him. I was like, hey, man, sorry, you know, it was just hard racing. And he was like, dude, why are you apologizing for racing hard? And I was like, you know what? You're absolutely right. You know, we were racing hard. We got out. We didn't shake each other's hand, but we weren't pissed off at each other. It was just one of those days. It's what we get to do. We get paid to race, not fall in line and, and not race the other guys as hard. I don't care if you were racing 20 years ago in this series and it wasn't like this. Well, it's a new day. Shit changes every day. Get accustomed to it. Sorry, that pisses me off because a lot of the older guys get pissed off and the young guys race them hard. So it just strikes a nerve. I'm sorry. I'm good. Huh? Let me know. I think Bubba makes a convincing argument, if I do say so myself. All right, guys. That'll wrap it up for Victory Lane, episode 29. I want to do, like, some ode to Kevin Harvick because you guys know what he means to me in in my life and in my, like, you know, upbringing and racing and all that stuff. But 
If only we had the time to. I just do not have the ample time to do so. But thank you guys for tuning in so much. We will have another wonderful big-time guest next week on the program. I talked with all National Series drivers this past weekend in Las Vegas. Hopefully, I'm going to have some more coming down the pipeline that I record this weekend in New Hampshire, possibly, as well as Meridian next weekend. Maybe Dover coming up. I'll be at Phoenix. I'll be at Homestead. And then that'll pretty much wrap things up for me on the NASCAR side. I got a couple more KN West events as their season wraps up at Phoenix, and we got a few races in between there in California. Thank you for bearing with me this episode with the rambling, uh, the lack of preparation, but I promise you that uh, it was not my fault, I guess. I mean, I, I planned to do it, and unfortunately, the good Lord did not want me to have Wi Fi. So thank you for that. I will talk to you guys next week. We'll have another guest. We will recap the racing at Richmond. We will preview the Roval. And we'll also recap New Hampshire with the K&N guys and gals. It's going to be fun as always. And I look forward to talking to you next week right here on Victory Lane.